This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Harry's for guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now. And just in time for Father's Day, get $5 off the limited edition Father's Day set by entering the promo code FOOL when you check out. It's Monday, June 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Howdy. So far, so good. So far. <laughs> <laughs> that could change at the top of a hat. <laughs> Maybe it's just going straight downhill from here. We are going to dip into the full mailbag. We've got a wonderful customer satisfaction survey that we're going to dig through. And just to give you a sneak preview, it's about the cable industry. So that's going to be fun. Uh, let's we'll let you guess as to whether the top five or the bottom five. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> one of those surveys where the word winners sometimes <laughs> yeah. is in air quotes. Uh, let's start with the energy industry, though, because shares of Devon Energy up about 5% this morning after selling a billion dollars worth of assets. This is a stock like. Gosh, Taylor, like just about every energy stock, it's mm-hmm. down over the past 12 months. But you tell me, this this seems like a a very uh, methodical move by Devon Energy as opposed to panic selling. No, absolutely. Um, this is something that they've kind of been toying with the idea of selling some non-core assets, and they finally have. Um, if I were to invest in an energy production company, this would be one of the first places I would look as far as a North American producer is concerned. Um, and I think that right now, their balance sheet looks favorable, like or within line with peers in terms of debt to capital, um, current ratios, things like that. So they have the cash they need. So in my mind, I think that this is probably just gearing up for when they do want to increase production. Um, they had a great first quarter, um, something that you don't, haven't heard out of the energy sector lately. They had higher than expected production, lower than expected costs. They have cash on the balance sheet. So, this is something where they're, they're not struggling enough to where they needed to sell these assets. It's more just, in my mind, something that's preparing them for when oil prices maybe reach a level that people are comfortable with, that they're going to stay put. Because it, even though it's around $50 a barrel right now, there's still a lot of hesitation as to whether it's going to stay there or not for, for the next year or more. Um, so this is Devin probably just really getting ready, um, and I think that they're they're in a good spot. Yeah, David Hager, the CEO, has has a reputation for being pretty conservative mm-hmm. on the fiscal side, and it, it it does seem like the type of and we talk about this with individual stocks where, hey, look, you you're. There are plenty of people who, plenty of investors who are willing to be a little bit late mm-hmm. on a stock that they think has a lot of upside. And it seems like in the case of Devin, Hager's a guy who has that same mindset where he's like, look, we, <laughs> if our balance sheet isn't sound, mm-hmm. then we're out of business. So we'd rather be a little bit late to the production ramp up game if need be. Yeah, totally. And they, they had that higher than expected production on the coattails of responsible spending. So it's not something that, that they were out there spending too much money to drive production in the first quarter of 2016. Um, it's something that they did because they're they're very operationally sound. They're they're advanced in terms of technology that they're using. They're optimizing their profit use um, very heavily into 3D seismic um, readings and things like that. So um, it's a company that's at the forefront of enhanced oil recovery techniques. And uh, if I were, I'm not a big investor in upstream companies, but if I were, Devon would be one of the first places I would look. Yeah, and I think if you look at the uh, if you look at if you look at oil, look at energy today in general. I mean, we're seeing. Um, 
excellent performance really from a lot of names in there from uh devon halliburton mm-hmm. one oak a lot of names here in in the energy space that are uh doing a little bit better today and it's a reminder that oil is is very much i mean it, it's the commodities in general it's just, it all boils down to supply and demand right and, and we see at any given point in time any kind of a geopolitical conflict or or problem that makes a headline and i think these nigerian uh nigerian pipeline attacks it looks like that are that are curbing some output um in in that part of the world that that Really has an impact through all of the energy industry, and when you think about it, I mean, energy really is is truly global at mm-hmm. this point with with the the big players in the space. So you you look at all of these energy companies today and see, wow, they are performing very well today, and that's nice. Is that sustainable? Yeah. Probably not. It's it's a great example of something where there's a short term catalyst that's really unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you wouldn't pinpoint necessarily any kind of specific geopolitical uh, event. In a thesis, other than to say that when you're investing in something like energy, you know that a geopolitical event can play into it, yeah. right? It you can't predict the timing or when it would happen. But again, we've seen such a depressed energy industry to this point, and we thought about that million dollar portfolio when we started placing a lot of these a lot of these bets along the industry and a lot of these different companies, thinking that these prices are really depressed. They're not indicative of these companies' long-term earnings power in a in a market environment where where oil supplies are a bit more reasonable and not quite as inflated as they are now. Once that supply starts coming down, we'll start seeing those prices sustainably a little bit higher. Who knows whether this is that point right now, but I'm sure that people have been holding on to energy for a little while are feeling pretty good about this today. And when you talk about geopolitical uprisings or something like that, the bulk of oil does come from a very volatile part of the world, so it's just, a, it's just a nature of the beast. And then you have wildfires in Canada that no one's going to be able to predict that threw off disruption of the oil sands. Um, over a million barrels a day of production got shuttered in for at least a couple weeks there, um, as people were very nervous that the fires were going to affect Suncor. I think they, sh- they they lost a lot of money in this quarter, um, but that's a short-term blip, and emerging out of that, Suncor is a very strong company. but. You can't you can't predict that kind of stuff. No, and you certainly don't root for it. I mean, no, you're not, not rooting for someone to get well, hurt. Some or people attacks. are, but not. Right. I, I mean, don't there, believe there are in people, it. but we obviously. Yeah. I mean, business focused investing. The, the beauty yeah. of that is that you're focused on investing in in the business at hand and not the external factors mm-hmm. that come into play. And so it's difficult to sit there and look at that and say, oh wow, these attacks in Nigeria are a good thing because obviously they're not. Yep. Uh, my point was just to show that something like that um, can, can certainly have an effect in the short in the short run as a catalyst. Uh, but 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 yeah, you're not going to want to depend on something like that as really sort of a long-term thesis. And again, with energy, you really do have to be ready to get out when the getting's good mm-hmm. because it is so cyclical. It's not sort of that buy and just hold blindly for the next five year style of investment that I think we're used to in a lot of cases. That's one of the hindsights that I looked back at in terms of how crazy oil had gotten in the early 2010s when. Arabs, Arab Spring, and all of those uprisings that you had weren't really affecting the price of oil right. like they typically would have. So that could have, that should have been like a, a a red flag to a lot of people saying, okay, well, oil prices aren't reacting to Egypt and some other large company or large countries that produce oil over there. Um, maybe supply has gotten out ahead of itself. The American Consumer Satisfaction Index came out with their latest survey. For the cable industry, they surveyed nearly 13,000 customers across America, and 
a surprise name for me anyway was at the bottom of the list in terms of customer satisfaction. Mediacom, which is the eighth largest cable company in America, uh, the bottom four, the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of, <laughs> of most hated cable companies. Mediacom, Time Warner Cable, Cox Communications, and Charter Communications. Comcast, and this is uh, Rob Pegararo, who's uh, someone we've had on the radio show uh, before, a longtime technology writer, uh, wrote something up for Yahoo Finance, the headline of which is, New Customer Service Survey Says Comcast is No Longer the Worst. <laughs> and kudos to Comcast, they're, they're now only the sixth worst. But we, we were kicking this around a little bit earlier. If you are a Comcast shareholder, you're doing quite nicely. That is a that is a stock that has done quite well over the last five years. And as a group, cable companies tend to tend to have done pretty well. And I'm wondering if you guys think that this is part of the plan. This is part of the. There are plenty of other businesses that we talk about where customer service is a differentiator. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, at least from the shareholder perspective. That's not the case in cable. That's that's not the case in cable. Well, I I think that so the cable providers, the cable internet providers are in a in a unique position, right? I mean, they essentially have the lifeblood of our entire country. I mean, communications and and really the world. If you if you look at it from a greater perspective. I mean, it all boils down to two things that we value. More highly than probably anything around the 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 entire country in communications and entertainment. I mean, that's what really it all boils down to, and and they're the ones that really don't have to do. They don't have to do anything. I mean, they can just kind of maintain the business as it's going. And I mean, customer reviews be damned. I mean, what are you going to do? Is I mean, are you going to go in there? Well, I'm just quitting Comcast or I'm quitting Time Warner and I'm going elsewhere and. Well, you don't have that choice in many places, and typically, when you do have that choice, it's just choosing the lesser of two evils. I think in most cases. Now, I was very interested to see on this list that it looks like Verizon FiOS is um, at the top of the list there as as customer, the highest customer satisfaction. Do you have FiOS, Chris? No, I didn't do that. I just always kind of try to rub that in. I hate doing that. I'm sorry, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> no, you don't hate doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, and I, so I would. Did they say, call like, you by the way? Did no. the survey people? Did they call you? <laughs> they, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna. I love them. So what I will say, and I think a lot of this does boil down to customer service. And I can think of many years where you might have an issue that comes up, and the last thing you want to do is call one of these companies and get stuck on hold with a voice menu that doesn't understand you and redirects you to the wrong place. Uh, what I have noticed recently, and I think this is really, um, I think this is going to be a game changer as time goes on, as more people realize this outlet is there. So I've maybe had a couple of issues with Verizon BIOS over the past couple of years. And in the past couple of years, I have actually resorted to going to Twitter to try to resolve the customer service issue there. It wasn't anything pressing. I mean, I think our, our internet went out at one point in, in something else. But I was I was really taken aback by how quickly they responded. I mean, it was within 10 minutes. And then we had a nice little exchange back and forth. The problem was resolved. I never had to never had to sit waiting on the phone. I mean, it was just at my own convenience, and and it's it's just a much more pleasant interaction. I did the same thing with the U.S. Post Office once as well. So I, I th- my point is, I think that here in today's age, where we have more channels to communicate, 
Um, I, I think that these companies need to look at this type of survey, particularly the Mediacoms and Time Warner Cables of the world, and Cox Communications and Charter. Look at these as opportunities. They obviously have something we need. That isn't going to change. But I think that they could really boost those scores by making just little changes in utilizing a number of those different social channels. Just try to be more proactive and, and, and go out there and make that your identity. Hey, we're Comcast. We know in the past we've sucked at customer service, but now we're turning over a new leaf. We're and actually going to be that. awesome. And, and do, yeah, but make that a campaign, right? And you could probably make it funny. It could be a little bit self deprecating, but I'll bet you over time it could really work. I've tried to move as far away from like Verizon Files pre wired the building I live in, so that's really all we can have. It was good while it lasted, but if it wasn't for internet, I wouldn't I wouldn't even bother with them anymore. Right. That's pretty much all I pay them for. And they're figuring it out that that's what a lot of people might do in the future. And so that's they charge you an arm and a leg. If you try to drop cable and just pay for the internet, it's, it makes no sense. You might as well just keep basic cable on top of your internet. And that's what we've been talking about for a while. Is at some point you would see where the the cost disparity there would would get a little bit tighter. I mean, it was for the longest time made more sense just cut the cable and just have Netflix and you know yeah. Amazon and HBO and you could do all that. And it's going to be way cheaper and more enjoyable. Well, that can only last so long until they figure out they everybody wants that. Out, and yeah. of course, the loves economics just come back to come back to haunt us all at some point or another. And they they get a little bit more. Uh, Pricing power there, any which way, and so that just shows you the value in the pipes that they control. And I, I don't know that that really changes, and it doesn't have to change. I mean, these companies don't have to be like great at customer service because you need them no matter what. Um, but hey, it would be pretty great if you had one of these companies that people needed, and then you really made that extra effort to be terrific at customer service. I mean, hey, the the power of uh, the power of of, of Positive uh, reviews is not to be underestimated. All right, before we dip into the full mailbag, this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Harry's. I love Harry's. Father's Day's coming. <laughs> I don't know what you're planning on getting your dad, but well, my dad, my dad typically wears a beard, so Does he? all right, it's probably going to be something golf-related, maybe a book. Here's the thing, and I think we all know this: that uh, we, as a gender, uh, t- typically not great to shop for. Um, and and I'll tell you right now, this Father's Day, whether you're shopping for your dad, your grandfather, your uncle, your brother, whoever it is, uh, they don't want a tie. They no. don't want a tie. No, and, we don't. And I I promise you. And I was thinking about this the other day, JMO. Um, you and I know this. There, there are two types of fathers in the world. There are new fathers and old fathers. And the one thing <laughs> they have in common is uh, they don't think at all about shaving. Because when you're a new father and you've got a, a a child in the house that's like two years or younger, oh. two years old or younger, you're a zombie. You're not thinking about your shaving. And if you're an old father, uh, you've been using the same razor and and stuff forever, and you're just like well, you're doing it. You're just not you're changing doing it, but it's, it. you're not thinking about it. And it's just like oh, this is good enough. This is good enough. This has worked for the last couple of decades. <laughs> yeah. So here's what you want to do because Harry's totally has you covered on this one for Father's Day. You can get a special limited edition shave set. Uh, that includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, f- uh, moisturizing foaming shave gel, three handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40. It comes in this really nice-looking box. Uh, you can personalize it, and you can get it all. Just go to harrys.com and use the promo code FOOL, 
when you check out, you'll get five dollars off your first purchase with the promo code Fool. Father's Day just around the corner. So. It is June nineteenth. Public it, service announcement. I, I, I've really let my shaving go. I mean, it's like maybe a couple of times a week now. Now, granted, we work at a place where it's not necessarily the top of the priority ladder, so to speak. But but that sounds that that sounds like something. Maybe it's, I'll spoil myself with that Aries jewelry. That I think be, I, I think you should make me feel a little bit you better deserve, about myself. You deserve. It. You I'm going to do it a couple of times a week. At least it's going to be really good, right? You got one face, so That's just true. take care of it. Um, I've actually been using Harry's stuff for a couple of years now, oh, yeah? and I, I, I'm a, a total fan of what they do. So well, I got to try it now. You've sold me. Go to Harry's.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and remember, use the promo code Fool at checkout. You get five dollars off. All right. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Justin D'Antonio, who writes, I owned the original Under Armour shares prior to the stock split and now have both Class A and Class C shares. After the recent pullback in the stock, I was considering adding some to my long-term holdings as and was confused when I actually looked at the prices and there was about a 6% difference. Does it matter which class I buy as they both theoretically represent the same thing, just one without voting rights? Great question. We've kicked this around a little bit. I went and looked at because I'm also an Under Armour shareholder, and I thought, oh yeah, I think I'm in exactly the same situation as Justin. And I went and looked, and I I wasn't thinking about adding to my position, but uh, I understand why he's asking the question because when I checked this morning, uh, the Under Armour shares, the the Class A shares that trade under the ticker UA, trading for just shy of thirty seven dollars a share. Uh, the C shares, which trade under the ticker UA uh, and then the hyphen, the letter C, thirty-four forty. So that's that's a couple bucks difference. And depending how many shares you're buying, JMO, that's uh, that's real money. It is, yeah. And I, I'm an Under Armour shareholder. Uh, I owned those shares before the split, so I own both classes as well. And just a quick review on the background of why this happened. I mean, it was a split that happened recently. It was essentially just a way for Kevin Plank, the founder and CEO, to maintain his control over the company. Uh, some people can be critical of that. I personally am not, because he is taking this business to where it is today, which I think has been a pretty phenomenal story with something that started out of his grandmother's basement. Well, what Alphabet did the same thing like right. last year. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's exactly. Let's not just let's not just say this is Under Armour. I mean, there are other companies out there doing the same thing, and I think that with in Under Armour's case, I think it's it's perfectly fine. I mean, you you're you're placing your faith in Kevin Plank to continue to make yep. good decisions, and I think he's got a pretty good track record thus far with a 16 billion dollar market cap company today. Um, so then it became then it becomes a very sort of a personal issue, right? I mean, I think it's it's the UA share has the vote. The UA hyphen C shares do not have the vote. And so how important is that? And I will I, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough, how important is that meaningless vote? It is yeah, utterly he's got the majority meaningless. Share, yeah. I can tell you it doesn't matter. Hey, it's nice to have it, but it doesn't matter. You can vote however you want. Kevin Plank has full control of the company. So, how important is that vote to you? I don't know. I mean, everybody feels differently about that. I mean, it it's a meaningless vote, but it likely will always result in a little bit of a premium on those UA shares. And perhaps down the road something changes to where that vote does have some meaning. Probably not, but it's possible. I think I I'm looking at potentially adding to my Under Armour Position at some point, we've got it on the top of our list in, in million dollar portfolio as well. And our philosophy on this is that we are focused on the UA shares, not the C shares, but the UA shares, simply because we feel like it's what we've always owned. 
we try to remain consistent with that. You can never really tell what's going to happen in the future, and perhaps there will be some value in that vote at some point. But either way, it's not that big of a disparity to where we feel like um, it's worth trading down to the C share just to just to miss the vote. Yeah, sounds about right. I'm a shareholder too. I, I, also, the shares look pretty good right now, but um, I haven't really considered which one I would buy. I don't usually vote. Um, I'll set I'll proxy that, but. Um, I would probably go with the C's just off the top of my head because you do get access to the same business regardless of which one you choose. Yeah, it's the same economic value. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just gonna say I like I, I hadn't really thought about this until this very moment, but and I totally understand why Jason the MDP team would would look to the UA shares for consistency's sake. But as an individual, I, I don't have that. Kind of consistency mm-hmm. that I need to maintain. So I think if I were to add, I'd go with the C shares. Yeah, it's it, there's um, no also, right answer. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, and I think I think if you're an institution, you're going for the voting shares. Oh, no yeah, question. Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's a good point to make. I'm glad you made that point because that really is the essence of the the difference there. I mean, it is the big money that is buying lots and lots of these shares that could actually potentially do something with that vote, even if in theory they can't. Uh, overpower Kevin Plank's ownership of the company. That could, they could at least make a statement. Yeah, you can make you know, some if waves. If there were yeah. enough shareholders with those shares to be able to at least make a statement, that says something. Um, and it's it's something just to keep in mind. But again, good question. No one right answer. It's a great one to kind of kick around. And I think that with every company, it's a little bit different too. I mean, if Kevin Plank were seventy five years old, would we look at this differently? Probably so. Yeah. One with Google or Alphabet, sorry, when they when they first did the split, weren't they saying that if if the split shares weren't the same value as the original shares at yeah. the end of like the first year, they were going to make you whole again. But then after that, you're on your own. Yeah, and a lot Whereas, of times they'll offer a special dividend yeah. to kind of make up for that difference. And I believe that Under Armour made that same oh, yeah? okay. um, made that same uh, statement in the filing. I'm not positive. Double check on that. But but regardless, again, like you said, that's a one time thing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. matter after the end of the after the end of that first year. Or so again, it just kind of boils down to. Your preferences. Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.